You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Well, good morning. If, if you're new to Sun Grove Church, so am I. <laughs> uh, my family and I have been on vacation. My name is Dave Flake, senior pastor here at Sun Grove, and uh, we went on vacation. It was the longest time, thank you uh, for indulging, it was the longest time uh, we have been away three weekends in a row in the last seven years. And if you're a teacher, you might say, wow, that's amazing. But uh, those of us who work week in and week out, we understand that, right? And it was great to get away. It was great to uh, just have time with family. We were able to go to a tropical destination in Hawaii. And we're just at that life stage right now where Heather and I are so aware that our children, you know, within the next season of life, will be out. They'll be on their own. They'll be doing their own thing. They'll be running with their lives. And and we're looking so forward to experiencing that next adventure, discovering what those next adventures will be in their lives. But we don't know what they are yet, but we're just right at that window right now. And those of you in this room who have walked through some empty nesting, you know what I'm talking about. You, You know how thankful you are when people come back for Thanksgiving. Maybe the kids come back or, or you have a full house again or, or maybe you've been through a year this year where that was the expectation, but this year it might not exactly be that way. I gotta tell you, I was blessed over the last three weeks because we, went to, we were on two different islands, so we went to two different churches and uh, all five of us got to sit together in church. Like normally Heather's down here and, you know, the boys are doing tech and music and other things or they're working with kids. And, and so like we got to actually sit together as an entire family, like nobody was doing anything. All we could do is just bless the Lord, oh my soul. We could just give him worth, give him glory. And we we're able to do that as a family. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing. And we come to a time like this, a time of Thanksgiving. And I don't know if you're like me, but life just happens. And you get to a week like Thanksgiving, and typically you think, I am so thankful for a day off, right? You just think, I'm so thankful because this is just a shortened week. I'm so thankful that, that you know, just things get, to, we get a little bit of a break here, but we also get in that routine of thinking, wow, our culture is a little bit mad. You tell you what, you're gone for a couple of weeks, you come back and check your mail. Okay, my mail that was important was like this big, the ads were like this high. Just advertisements for stuff, for Christmas, for Black Friday, for everything else, right? You come back, it's just unbelievable. And sometimes life carries us along. Sometimes life just makes you and I a little bit crazy. We feel like we're reacting to life. And God wants us to have a spirit of thankfulness. We're not supposed to be just carried along by life. We're not supposed to be carried along or controlled by other substances or other experiences or other events in our life, we're supposed to be controlled by God's Holy Spirit and to give thanks back to Him. Uh, Paul said it this way, if you have your Bible, open with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Beginning with verse 18, he says this, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Let me just time out right there. What he's saying is, don't be drunk on wine. Don't be loaded on painkillers. Don't be controlled by drugs or alcohol. Don't be controlled by overeating. Don't be controlled by everything else. Don't be under the control of anything else. We could swap out the word wine there for a lot of controlling factors, can't we? Don't be controlled by greed. Don't be controlled by materialism. Don't be controlled by anything else, he says this, but by his spirit speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the heart. 
Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're not to be controlled by other things in life, but instead when those things begin to control us, that we put them under the submission of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we come before him and we begin to give thanks for everything. Say everything. Think about it. Everything means the good, means the bad, means the ugly. How good are you at giving thanks for everything? In our culture, we think of what we're thankful for. And of course, we remember where the whole national holiday of Thanksgiving came about. You remember that settlers arrived on the St. James River in 1619. And the very first New England Thanksgiving happened after this dreadful winter where it killed nearly half of the members of the Plymouth colony. But in the summer of 1621, new hope sprang up and a time of thanksgiving was proclaimed. In 1789, President George Washington named November 26th as a national holiday of thanksgiving. And then various states over the years adopted their own day of thanksgiving. And in 1863, President Lincoln set the last Thursday in November as a national thanksgiving day. And for 75 years, it stayed that way. But then in 1939, President Roosevelt said it one week back to help shopping. Imagine that to spring the economy a little bit. They moved it one week back. Finally, in 1941, the United States Congress decreed that Thanksgiving will be the fourth Thursday of November and will be a legal federal holiday. So we have this annual reminder of Thanksgiving. But the truth is, we are a thankful faith. As people of God, we are ones who give thanks. We are to have Thanksgiving be a routine. We have Thanksgiving to be a regular event in our lives, something that has to happen. And, and you think, well, you could be thankful, but you don't necessarily, being thankful doesn't mean that you give thanks. Does that make sense? You might be thankful on the inside, but if you don't say thank you to the person you're thankful for, it didn't really do its work, did it? You just felt good on the inside, just didn't tell anybody. That's like saying, you know, well, I love my wife. I just don't ever tell her I love her, right? Well, I just feel love on the inside. I just never communicated it. And there's a statement on your outline. If you'll take that out, you'll want to take some notes today. But there's a statement at the top, and it says this. To do its job, to accomplish its purpose, thanksgiving must be communicated. It must be communicated. Now, Men speak one language, oftentimes stereotypically, and women speak another language. And there are some of you men who are incredibly relational, and there are some of you women who aren't so relational. You're more, you know, cognitive and factual and practical. But stereotypically, men and women speak two different languages when it comes to thankfulness. If a guy does something nice for a guy, that man will say to the other man, thank you. And that's like the end of it. Now he comes home, and stereotypically, he might tell his spouse about it. And she'll say, well, did you write him a handwritten card? and put it in the mail. And the guy starts to look maybe at his wife and, and maybe in your house, she would say, and, and then did you, did you type the envelope or did you handwrite the address on the envelope? And did you, did you lick and stick a stamp on there or did you use one of those adhesive ones? And maybe in your house or maybe in mine, uh, certain people who are highly relational can't fathom that simply saying thank you is it all relational or good enough to give actual thanks. How many of you would agree that it takes a little more than just saying thanks? Okay, how many of you think saying thanks is probably good enough? Oh, there's a little bit of both, right? 
But in some houses, depending on how you're wired, you might think it takes a lot more. And in my house, I have learned so much over the years from my wife, just on how to give thanks, how to say thanks. Uh, it's easy for me to move from one event to the next. She's so good about going back and reminding that we need to say thanks, that we need to be thankful. And I've grown in over 20 years in becoming a more thankful person because of the influence of my wife. Regardless of the style, however you do it, you and I need to do, be thankful and to do its job, to accomplish its purpose, thanksgiving must be communicated. So today I want to talk to you about five thank, uh, reasons for regular thanksgiving. Number one is this. Thanksgiving obeys God. It obeys God. We're commanded. And on, there, on your outline, you've got some questions. I'll make some statements, but you can decide what the answer to this is. Right or wrong, Thanksgiving obeys God. Psalm 107, verse 1 says this. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Isn't it interesting that we're giving thanks to the Lord? Why? Because God is good. Not because he's simply just done good things for us. His love is there for us, but it's because of who he is, his character, his nature. We give thanks to God. Jesus gave thanks to God. So here he is, Jesus, God himself, the second person of the Trinity, God become flesh on earth now, sent to earth to take on the sacrifice for all the sin of the world for those who put their faith and trust in him. Jesus is on earth and he returns thanks to God the Father. So within the Trinity, there's this beautiful picture there's this picture of submission. There's this picture of dependency, of interactivity. It's not vaulting ambition. It's not competition. There's this interaction that happens in the Trinity. And what you see is in John 11, verse 41, Jesus is about to do a great miracle by the power of the Almighty, by the power of God. But before he does the miracle, he says something. See, his friend Lazarus has died and the sisters are weeping and they go to the tomb and he's been in there for days and he tells them to roll away the stone and he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead and nobody totally knows it yet, but Jesus does. And this is what he says in John eleven forty one. 41. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Isn't it a beautiful picture? Even Jesus gives thanks to the Father. There is a right relationship. You might be in the same family, but giving thanks to one another in a family is a very healthy, very good thing. And he says, Father, I thank you. Why? That you have heard me. He didn't say that you've given me a special anointing. You've given me a power. He's God. Jesus is God. But he's saying, Father, within the Trinity, as a unified body, I want to thank you that you have heard me. Giving thanks obeys God. See, part of worship is this. It's not just knowing about God. It's knowing and loving God back. See, it's not just knowing that God loves you. Because you think, well, maybe that's worship. I learned how God loves me. And, and the truth is, it's not. Worship is, yes, God loves us. His love and his faithfulness endures forever. But God, part of worship for us is that we learn to love God back. How do we love God back? How do we communicate to him? How do we relate to him? We begin to give our heart first to God. And then out of our heart, the mouth speaks. What's in the heart is going to come out the mouth. And that's why Thanksgiving is such a revealer of what's going on inside. Because out of my heart, I want to give thanks back to God for who he is, to do its job, to accomplish its purpose. Thanksgiving must be communicated. 
So part of worship is thanking and loving and knowing God back. But we come to Thanksgiving, and most people say, well, what are you thankful for? And I, with all this Thanksgiving going on, I, especially with people who might describe themselves as an atheist, what I want to know is, who are they thanking? Who are they giving thanks to? To whom are they giving thanks? See, our culture's turned it not just from giving thanks, but our culture's turned it to being thankful. Oh, I'm thankful. I'm thankful of Turkey. I'm thankful I get to shop tomorrow. I'm thankful Macy's opens on Thursday instead of on Friday. I'm thankful for people who make the world full about me. They revolve around me. They bring good to my life. I'm thankful of self. And our culture's turned it away from returning to giving thanks to just identifying how thankful we have become. And we stop giving thanks to the, the one to whom it deserves, our honor, our praise. So we have to say this, failing to give God thanks is a sin. If you and I fail to give God thanks, it's a sin. Now, God's not keeping a ledger. He's not there going, well, I did something good for you, and you didn't thank me for that. What he's saying is that as you and I are controlled by God's Holy Spirit, part of the natural outpouring of being controlled by God's Holy Spirit is giving worth, honor, and thanksgiving back to him. It's part of our worship. So we give that to God, but when we don't, it's a sin. Listen to Romans 1.21, talking about people who have rejected the knowledge of God, who have rejected Jesus as Lord. Romans chapter 1 says this in verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but in their thinking became, fu- but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Isn't it interesting? They didn't say, they just, they rejected God and because of that, their thinking became futile and their hearts were dark. They said, not only did they refuse, they didn't give God glory, nor did they give thanks. Why would he have giving thanks in there? I want you to show something, that, that worship is a transfer of glory. Is God gonna get the glory or am I gonna get the glory? In our culture, what happens is we become, if we say, hey, I don't believe in God, or I've just become self-centered, I've become entitled, I've become about myself, we begin to just become self-centered, then the glory that is God gets transferred to us, and it's described in our silence. How do I know when I've transferred glory due to God to me? It's when it doesn't come out of my mouth to him. And for those who would reject God, Romans chapter 1 speaks about what's called general revelation, that through what is created, people are aware that there is a God, that the law of God is written on the hearts of people in their creation so that they are without excuse if they are to reject God. We were just in some beautiful country. We have amazing sunsets here in Elk Grove. There are beautiful places around the world. You go out and look at the stars at night and all those things proclaim the glory of God. We're not to worship the stars. We're not to worship the creation. But all of those things are signs that tell us to give thanks and honor and glory to the creator. But what has our world done? Mother Earth. We're so all about nature. We're so all about when we begin to worship the object. It's like worshiping the the signpost on the highway instead of worshiping the creator himself. We've had a transfer of glory So failing to give God thanks is a sin. Abraham Lincoln said this, we've been the recipients 
of the choices bounties of heaven. Do you guys have this slide? There we go. Do we have the, uh, been the recipients of the choices bounties of heaven? We've been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We've grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our own hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we've become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. It has seemed to me fit and proper that God should solemnly, reverently, and gratefully be acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. Humanity and the course of humanity was the same back then as it is today. What's the same core in our heart is that we have forgotten God. That we have begun to think that life revolves around us. It happened in Abraham Lincoln's day. It happens in our day. It happened in Jesus' day. It happened in the Old Testament. It's from the fall of humanity forward. We have forgotten God. And what happens is we be, try to become full of thanks instead of giving thanks to the Lord. Jesus, in the New Testament, heals 10 lepers, guys who have leprosy. They come to him in humility. They want to be healed. God, heal us. We, we've heard that you're a healer. He heals the 10 of them. They have to go present themselves to the priest because if you were physically unclean as leprosy would make you, you could not perform the duties to have the forgiveness of sin in a Jewish culture. So they finally, they had to live outside the city after all these years of being unclean. And, and if clean people came near them, they'd have to give a warning. Like, I'm unclean. They'd have to say unclean so that other people wouldn't catch the leprosy. So they had to live in a leper's colony. Jesus comes along, he touches them, he heals them. These 10 go off to present themselves to the priest for the cleansing, the approval to begin to worship the Lord in the temple again. But only one comes back and says thank you to Jesus. He comes back and says thank you. He gives thanks. He didn't just feel thanks. He gave it. And Jesus' question to him is very interesting to me because he receives that. But then he says, well, where? I thought I healed 10. Where are the other nine? What is Jesus saying? It is the right response for you and I to give thanks, not just be thankful. That we're to give thanks back to God. Well, I'll ask you another question here. Thanksgiving makes you joyful, yes or no? I don't mean the holiday. I mean the act of thanksgiving. Psalm 107 verse 21 says this, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and for his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. Do you realize that psychologists have said that Thanksgiving drives out depression? Because when your world is focused on all you, you and I become in that vortex of self-centeredness. But when we begin to give thanks outside of ourselves, it begins to take that reverse vortex. I believe in reverse vortexes. I believe that God will lift us up from where we are in our mire. The scriptures told us to be thankful in all circumstances. What about when it's hard? What about when life is hard right now? What about when you're in tough circumstances? What about when you had expectations for the holiday and they are not coming true for you and you experience disappointment? 
What about when you're struggling financially, you're struggling in life, you're struggling relationally, you're wishing that this could just be a great week, but you've got some holiday dread going on in you. Thanksgiving drives out depression. There's a gal who wrote a book called A Thousand Gifts. She was struggling with cancer. In the midst of the depression of struggling with cancer, she began to say, I need to become thankful. I need to start giving thanks even when it's hard. And so she said, I'm going to start a journal called A Thousand Gifts. I'm going to write down a thousand things that I'm thankful for to give God praise. What are the gifts he's given me in my life? And it began to turn her around, lifted her out of that miry place. We sing the song, Blessed Be Your Name, and the words of the song say, you give and take away, you give and take away. My heart will, listen, choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. Didn't say when my heart feels like saying, he said, I'll choose it. So when it's hard, when you're in the depression, when you're in the middle of the tough stuff, when it, you don't feel joyful, you and I begin to give a thousand gifts. We begin to give thanks. We give thanks and honor and glory back to God. And in that time then, we begin to become lifted up. Joy births itself, but the precursor is thanksgiving. My heart will choose to say, Lord, even though it's good, bad, or ugly right now, blessed be your name. Paul described it this way in Colossians 1, verse 11. He said, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Hey, keep that slide up there for just one second, if you will. That he says this, giving joyful thanks. He didn't just say giving thanks. Is Paul worried that people might give thanks begrudgingly? Why did he use the adjective joyful? Why did he use that? As he's describing things, why did he use joyful things? Why is joy there? Why do you imagine Paul describes believers giving thanks as joyful? He's not worried about disgruntled thanks givers. He's saying, listen, when you and I give thanks, we end up giving joyful thanks because thanksgiving breeds the nature of joy in our heart. John Gordon, in the business world, wrote a book called The No Complaining Rule. And in that, he says, when your cynicism shows up, when your complaining shows up, when you begin to see yourself start complaining and being negative and all that stuff shows up, he says this, you might hear that cynicism or that complaint coming out of your mouth, and then you say the word, but. You catch yourself, and you stop, you say, but. And then you give thanks, you become thankful for something, and it turns you around and begins to get you out of that spire of being a complaining, negative person. So many of us are controlled by just nagging, ongoing complaining. If we recorded what our words were throughout the day and listened to ourselves at the end of the day, objectively with a small group of people, we might be horrified. <laughs> I'm so negative. I complain about people. I complain about these things all the time. There's no joyful sense about me. I think I might be joyful, but I'm not. Listen to my words. John Gordon says, to get out of that negativity trap, you catch yourself. And instead, you become thankful for something. You turn, and that training over time brings you up out of it. Why? Because Thanksgiving produces joy. Not only that, but number four, Thanksgiving energizes prayer. Thanksgiving energizes prayer. This is where you and I come, and, and we may not feel it, but we got to choose it. Lord, I choose to be thankful, and I choose, God, now to give you thanks. Lord, please make me on the inside aware of what I need to be thankful of, because I just don't feel like it right now. 
If my heart's got it, it's not there right now. My heart doesn't feel it right now. I've got all these objections to the flesh. I've got all these concerns outside myself. I've got all these pressures about the world and society and money and everything else. And all these things are on my back. I come weighted down. I walk into church with these things. And we say, God, please help me express thanks back to you. I don't feel it right now. Lord, let the joy that comes from giving thanks well up in my heart. And God hears that prayer. God energizes our prayer. I guarantee you that if you're prayerless in life, if you just look at your life and just say, am I prayerless right now? I mean, let's just be honest. Am, am, is there prayerlessness in my life? If it's an afterthought, if it's the last thing I do, it's the last place I turn, if I'm not feeling prayerful, if I don't, I don't feel like praying, oftentimes it's because we're full of self. There's been a transfer of glory, but that weighs us down and drags us down to that depression. If you catch yourself there, you got to say, but God, I'm so grateful, listen, that you hear me. See, some of you are convinced God doesn't hear you. You don't think God should hear you. You're pretty convinced he wouldn't want to hear you. But when you and I begin be thankful and give thanks to the Lord. It will energize our prayer. Colossians 4.2, Paul said this, devote yourselves to prayer. Sounds a good idea, right? And well, what does that look like? Well, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And I don't think he means thankful as an afterthought. He's saying devote yourselves to prayer. Part of prayer is you're bringing your request to God, but part of prayer is you're thanking him already. Part of prayer is giving thanks to God. God, I give you thanks for who you are, for what you've done, for how you've been. God, I give you thanks, even in hard things, that you would strengthen me right here, right now, when I don't even feel strong, I feel weak. But then you bring your prayer before God. You bring your request before him. Now you're watchful. God, you are good. Your faithfulness endures forever. I'm so grateful. Thank you. And I have this very real need, this very real issue, this very real supplication, this very real request. And it will energize your prayer. Present your request with watchfulness and with thanksgiving. And the fifth reason to have daily or regular thanksgiving in your life is this. Giving thanks crowds out sin in my life. What do you think? Yes or no? It's a theological stumper there for a minute for some of you. Because by giving thanks, do we earn salvation? No. But having been saved, having been declared righteous, we still live in a fallen world where the oppression of sin is on us. We still experience the weight of sin. We still experience the, the words of our mouth. We still, it's the almost but not yet. We have been declared righteous and perfect if we put our faith and trust in Jesus. And if you're here today and you haven't and you're seeking, this is the best place you can be. It's so good. We're so glad you're here. Just to think through these things and begin to experience them a little more and say, is Jesus Christ legitimate? Is he real? And can he make a difference in my life today? Yes. But for so many of us in this room, you walk in under the weight of sin, the lie of the evil one. We still experience the oppression, the lie of the devil. Let me draw something out for you. In Ephesians 5, in Romans 1, in Ephesians 4, there are times that Paul says, you either choose thanksgiving or you have these things in your life. It's one or the other. 
One's going to crowd out the other in your daily experience. So let's say, what are those things? Well, we looked at Romans chapter 1. You're going to either have thanksgiving to God, giving thanks to God for who he is, or you're going to have futile thinking and darkened hearts, right? You've rejected God. You're futile in your thinking. You have a darkened heart. So it's thanksgiving or that. Another one in Ephesians chapter 5 is that you'll have thanksgiving or you're going to have obscenity, foolish talk, and coarse joking. Isn't that interesting? What kind of words are coming out of our mouths? They reveal what's going on in the heart. When we give thanks, it crowds out obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking. In Ephesians chapter 4, he says, you can either have thanksgiving or you can have stress and worry and anxiety. That something about giving God thanks crowds out a lot of the stress we feel, a lot of the anxiety we feel, a lot of the controlling we feel that, that it's all up to us that we've got to do it on our own. But when you and I give thanks, we begin to crowd those consequences of our humanity out. It's a beautiful picture and one that we often overlook, isn't it? To do its job. To accomplish its purpose, thanksgiving must be communicated. Let me tell you, some of you in this room, you, you've got resentment in your heart. And you don't want it to grow, but resentment has this way of growing, doesn't it? Over time, given enough fuel, enough energy, enough thought, enough just ongoing in your brain, resentment grows, doesn't it? But I was thinking about this week, and I just realized resentment cannot grow in a garden planted with thanksgiving. Do you want resentment not to grow in your life? Plant your garden with thanksgiving. Fill it up. Resentment can't grow there. When we, you and I have thanksgiving, we begin to release control. We begin to release offenses. We begin to release things into the lordship of Jesus Christ. And we give him honor and thanks and glory. And we stop transferring that glory to ourselves. You know, we walk in here with these things, these weights, these burdens that you and I have experienced. But we are a singing faith. And let me tell you, Matt and the band, what happens up here is so good. And maybe in your tradition or in your background, you just learn to stand and watch. I'm just going to watch them. It's like a concert because that's where our culture is, right? You either film it on your cell phone or you, or you watch it. Like, look at me here at the concert or, or you're filming it or you're just enjoying it. This is enjoyable. But when you do that, you fail to give yourself a gift. See, when you and I feel thankful, but we don't give thanks verbally when it's not given, when it's not spoken, when it's not sung, then you and I don't have the opportunity to crowd out those sins' effects in our lives. You don't give yourself the gift. When you and I stand and watch but don't sing, we refuse, we choose not to give ourselves the chance to push the weight of sin for those things to be crowded out of our daily experience. So we're gathering a head knowledge about faith, but we're not living faith. We're not being controlled by God's Holy Spirit. And so I want to encourage you, as the time when the band is up here, when they're leading in worship, that you, by, by singing, even if you're like, I'm horrible, you don't even want me to sing, Dave, please, you just, you know, the people around me don't want me, well, make a joyful noise. You want to know why it's going to be a joyful noise? Because you're going to give yourself a gift when you give God thanks. So you give him honor and thanks and glory. There's a reason that God made Christianity a singing faith. Yesterday morning, we're watching some Premier League soccer on TV, me and the boys, and the crowd just sings. 
It's raining, it's cold outside, and they jump up and down and they sing, and it bonds them together, and they, they sing. It's one of those binding experiences. When you and I come together in worship and we sing, it binds us together, but it also frees us because we are giving God thanks. Because for Thanksgiving to work, to do its effect, for it to be accomplished, it must be communicated. And God declared that that should be communicated from you and me on a weekly basis as we return thanks to him through song. And then during the week, as you and I were a walking worship service, we began to give him thanks in all circumstances, in the good, the bad, and the ugly. Here's the beautiful thing. When sin gets crowded out, when the effects, the weight, the consequence of the fall in your life get crowded out, even as a believer, when they get crowded out of your life, it's then that you and I become very willing to serve, to volunteer. Why? Because it's the weight of sin that tells us that there's shame. You can't serve because there's shame. There, there's a release of the transfer of glory back to God. So my life is not all about me. It's about honoring God. And sometimes honoring God means getting my hands dirty. It means doing the work that needs to be done. It means I'm going to use the giftedness that only I can bring to be part of a body as we are bonded together. But sometimes when you and I stand and watch and we're, we're watching what's going on up front, but we're silent and we're standing and watching... We're just crushed under the weight of shame. We're crushed under the weight of materialism. We're crushed under the weight of ourselves. We want to say, I'm here, isn't that good enough? And then God sometimes would say, hey, there were 500 people in church today. I only heard from, where are the other?" He doesn't want it because he's a glory hound. He wants it because he wants you and I to be a singing faith, to be people who give him honor and glory because it frees us, it bursts joy in us, that we are not controlled by the fears, the lies, the untruths of the evil one that keep us from living up to who God has called us to be. He wants us to be free from that so that we can have joy in our hearts. It really is a change of identity. When you and I give thanks, it's a release of the oppression that we feel and it's a change in our identity. And we're so thankful that God is good because it changes the lies of the world that define who we are. I want you to watch this video. अच्छाई हमारे पुरुषों के ऊपर आक्रमण किया जाता है हमारे महिलाओं के बलात्कार की जाती है हमारे बच्चों के साथ दुर्व्यवहार किया जाता है मेरा जन्म से लेकर अस्तित्व माना जा रहा है मैं अहंकार में जी रहा हूं मैं आधुनिक तौर से खोया हूं मानव जीवन से बुनियादी मर्यादा से मुक्त हूं 
मैं छोटा से छोटा हूँ The Mushar are a people group in India who are considered the lowest of the low. Mushar were treated as a cursed Maha Dalit. Maha means great, and Dalit, that is an oppressed and depressed society of Bihar, is Mushar. As a Maha Dalit group, they are lowest of the low, lower than any other human being, supposedly, at least in India. And from the perspective of an upper caste person, they don't really deserve um, any rights or privileges because they are born into that caste because of reincarnation, because of their prior karma, if you will, from a previous life. They were not given education because they were never entertained in the school. They were not allowed to make money because they were not entertained in the field. And there are more than, uh, I think, offer a million people oppressed. That's their mindset, is that they have believed all the lies that the society has told them. It's really lies from the devil that they're less than others, that they are worthless, that they are born into this caste and they cannot break away. And so we not only have to come in and present the gospel, it's almost like we have to first undo the lies that they are believing about themselves before the truth can sink in. So SEED's model really is to plant churches through child sponsorship. Statistics show that 80% of the people who come to Jesus come between the ages of 4 and 14. And India's got the most number of children. Through the children, we also have access to their families. But the focus will be on the sponsored children to make sure that they become the leaders of tomorrow. They become the church leaders of tomorrow. They become the evangelists and the pastors of tomorrow so that the transformation can be long lasting. The reality is, is that without the sponsorship, these children are not getting the food or the clothing or the basic necessities. And more importantly, without getting those things, they're not getting the love which points them to the ultimate love, the love and the hope that are found in Jesus Christ. And it's really exciting and encouraging to see what happens on the other end. These children will be receiving not only um, items of food and at times support with just so many of their practical needs. Um, for some, it's matters of cleanliness. For some, there's matters of teaching and education. All of this is ultimately for the goal and the hope of demonstrating to them the love of Christ and then pointing them to the message of hope. Any village you go to, they are burdened for their children. They want to see their children have a better future. And so when we start with the children, we're able to build trust with the family and show them that we care in practical ways. We've seen people come to Christ through this. We've seen baptisms. We've seen families be open to the gospel. We've seen a community that's been really visibly transformed and changed and continuing in that process. When we sponsor children, they have to grow up knowing Jesus and they have to become the leaders in their society who will be Jesus followers. And then their children, they will bring up their children knowing Lord and those children are probably gonna be the ones to really bring in the transformation at the village level. But it starts with one child. It starts with sponsorship of one child, sponsorship of 50 children in a village and that can have significant impact for the gospel in the years to come.
a lot of what you see there is Sun Grove. We, I don't know if you know, but a year and a half ago, I went to India and uh, walked into one of the villages that you're seeing here, and it had no help, nothing going on, just people living there. And today, we have over 50 children in that village who every day get food, they get clothing, they get education, they are sponsored on a monthly basis by your generosity and by the generosity of our missions budget here at church. So one of the reasons why we give, even here at Sun Grove Church, is we're making an impact in a little village called Sanjoli, all the way in the state of Bihar in India, among the Mushar, who are the least of these. But I believe that in our culture right now, in this room, there are people who walked in here today, you feel like the least. You believe the same lies, it's just wrapped up in nicer trappings. And that Jesus Christ is reaching to you today to say, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you peace. He'll wipe away your sins, he'll change your identity. He will take you from a place of being all about yourself and stuck in the miry place where you're stuck, and he will lift you up out of that and give you new life. But those of you in the room who you've revealed by the heavens and by natural creation, God's presence, but you have a choice. God, do I submit myself to you? Do I give you honor? Do I give you thanks? Do I come to the end of me and give you me? Or do I stay where I am? We bow your heads, close your eyes just in this time right now. I believe that there's a very real evil one who wants to keep you stuck. He wants to keep you in the place where you are spiritually lost. Your thinking is darkened. Your reasoning is futile. Your living doesn't come to much anything of significance. And there's others of you in this room, you feel so self-sufficient that you've forgotten God. But today is the day where you can say, I choose, I choose to give me to Jesus, to believe that his death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection was for me. If that's you today, just pray a prayer right where you're seated. Just pray this after me. Jesus, today I say yes to you. I believe you died on the cross, that you were buried in the grave, that you rose to new life, that you are God, that you died so that my sins could be washed away. So I ask you to come into my life and be my Lord and make me a new creation. I want to thank you for dying for me. I want Thanksgiving to mean something different to me every day because of you and your free gift. So today, Jesus, I give you me. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.